Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood. Today's guest says that when God made him, he threw away the mold. We're joined today by Reverend Matthew Rucker. He has an engineering degree from Georgia Tech and a business degree from the University of South Carolina, but that is not the road that he took. He ended up becoming a pastor, and he did that for 40 years. He is known as the storytelling preacher. He says that when you use a story with a spiritual meaning attached to it, he finds that people remember it. Matthew has been through plenty in his life and plenty throughout his career as a preacher. We're going to hear his story today on Connections. We're joined today by Matthew Recker. He is a former preacher. He retired from the South Carolina Methodist Conference as a minister. After 40 years of service, he's best known as the storytelling preacher. Why is that? Well, uh, in, in the ministry, I would always use stories when I would do sermons. Uh, I have found out that people remember stories more than they do 50 verses of Scripture. And, you know, I have people come back, you know, years later, and they'll say, I remember when you told the story about. And when my daughter and my granddaughter, well, my daughter and my wife, you know, they kept aggravating me to, you know, to write these stories down. And I, and I hated to write. I mean, when I was in the ministry and I had to write something for the newsletter, I hated it uh, because my thing is science, math, uh, chemistry, physics. Uh, that's what I would really get into, but not English. And so they continued to encourage me, you know, to write it down, write it down. So I finally gave in and said, okay. What I find interesting about you is you were interested in all, all of this stuff, the science. What, what led you down the path of becoming uh, a minister? Because you did that for over 40 years. Well, uh, I began in the Methodist Church, and I always enjoyed, uh, you know, church. And I had this uh, minister who decided that they were going to do a revival, a youth revival. And at the time, I was probably about, you know, 17, 18, and he kept aggravating me and aggravating me. It seems that in my life, I've got to be aggravated before I do something. And so I finally agreed, you know, yeah, I'll do a night, but, you know, just don't ask me anymore. And so I preached that night. I had a 20-minute sermon, and I completed it probably in about five minutes. And But the feeling that I had that night when I was in the pulpit would go on to haunt me for the next five years. And I didn't want to be a minister. I mean, that, that was a no, no. And so I went these other avenues, the engineering, uh, the business, and so finally, after about five years, uh, I decided that at least I would give it a shot. And the one thing that I said that I wouldn't do, which was go back to school, was the first thing I had to do in order to become ordained. And so I went through it, but once I got into the ministry, 
I never looked back. And I've used my other degrees. You know, I've wired a lot of people's houses and corrected a lot of electrical problems and rewired fellowship halls for churches and then set up endowment programs, you know, at the churches I served. So I, I used everything I had, and uh, but at least I could talk about something, you know, more than just religion. It was boring to me to have a preacher come over and visit us, and all that he or she could talk about was, well, you know, God said this, God said that. And I wanted to know about, well, what about this or what about that? And so I became, I guess, uh, the you know the friends with the people in the congregation, and that I could talk about things more than just the Bible. But if you wanted to talk about the Bible, we sure enough could do that too. But uh, that's how I got into it. I, I kind of backdoored it. I didn't, you know, it wasn't one of those things when I was born. Mama said, "You gonna be a preacher." <laughs> You know, it wasn't any of that. I had my life all figured out that I was going to come to the engineer, uh, get my MBA, and then go into upper management, you know, in a plant. And that's what I wanted to do. And all that fell by the wayside. God was calling but, you elsewhere. Yeah. And, and he knew where I needed to be. And again, there was no retreats, no regrets. Uh, and I've enjoyed this life and... Uh, done a lot of things, and that was the reason of giving these stories to my granddaughter, who I found out that grandchildren don't know grandparents. And I wanted to give her something that she would know my love of God, my love of people, and that I was a bit of a rascal. <laughs> and that comes through in the stories. What was the best part of, of your ministry career? Um helping people uh you know you can train a monkey to preach on sunday morning but getting out during the week and visiting families when they're hurting when they're sick uh, just being with them and i came to the philosophy that if i visit somebody's mother during the week they would visit me on sunday morning and uh so i did a lot of visiting and I enjoy that, just sitting down, getting to know people, listening to their stories. And some of these stories are stories that they gave to me, you know, sitting and talking with me. So just, I'm, I'm a people person, uh, and I just enjoy people. Now, you've had a lot happen in your life, um, not always good things, um, and still through all of this, you managed to stay on top and still um, stay in the ministry, and you were still able to preach despite um, you went through a divorce, and you also lost your son to suicide. How did you manage to get through all of these times? I live by the philosophy that there's nothing that me and God can't handle together. And so I do a lot of praying. I did a lot of praying, and... Uh, a lot of, you know, soul-searching, you know. My time of prayer is at night, you know, when it's dark. You know, I feel like that uh, God's awake, and I'm awake, so let's talk. And I never say amen at night. 
it's kind of like hanging the phone up, and I want him to be able to talk to me during the night if he needs to. So just little things like that that have increased my faith. The And I've come to find out that my greatest blessings came disguised as my greatest difficulties because there's blessings in everything if you look for it. And a lot of times people want to fall on the floor and say, poor, pitiful me. Well, I don't... Uh, I don't do that. I mean, I I square my shoulders and walk on with life, and I know that every day is a little bit better. Uh, you know, some days I make three steps forward and two back, and some days I make two forward and three back. So, uh, you know, you, you, you learn to trust God and keep on walking and realize that, he is your source of strength. He is your source of help. And no matter what happens to you, you know, it's your attitude that's the most important thing. And if I can keep my attitude squared away and my trust in him, then I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. Well, now you've taken that experience uh, in your life and you've created two books, Walking My Road of Grief and... The Life Stories of Peepa, which I really love that one. Um, tell me a little bit about these books, uh, why you decided to write them. I know you told us a little bit about The Life Stories of Peepa, um, but tell us a little bit about um, why you put these books together. Well, The, the Life Stories of Peepa was for my granddaughter. Uh, that was the motivation to write it, you know, and I got the greatest compliment from her was after the book was published and I sent her a copy. You know, she informed me. She said, "People, I'm famous," and that's the, the the greatest treasure. That you know, if she feels that way, that one day she'll pick this book up and she'll say, "Yeah, that was my people." You know, that's the way he was. the The second book came about because so many people asked me. They said. Share with us how you made it through the death of the suicide of your son. And that was the hardest book to write because I had to relive everything. And it was like walking through familiar territory that was very painful. And yet after, after I finished writing the book, I hate to use the analogy, but it was kind of like delivering a kidney stone. There was great relief when I finished writing that book. Now, the third book that I've written that's out now is another collection of stories like the first one of Peepaw. And that book has just been released, and uh, it's, it's called, you know, My Field of Memories. And, it, again, it goes back to, you know, talking about my life growing up and funny things that have happened in the ministry. And so I got in the habit of writing, and I'm writing the fourth one now, and it's more it's more funny stories uh, of things that have happened. Um, so there's, you know, when you retire, you never retire from the ministry. You know, there's always something. There's somebody wants you to preach. Somebody wants to get married. Somebody dies, 
you know, there's always something. And I found out that I haven't retired, even though I don't have an active church right now. I still am making stories. Funny things still happen. And I have learned to laugh with people and not at people. And there's a difference. And some of the best times I have are sitting with old friends and sharing stories and watching them laugh. You know, if I can't believe that. And, you know, if you can go through this life and you've got two good friends that you can count on, you're a lucky individual. You know, to have those type people that you can just share with, talk with, and it just, it, it amazes me, the books, the compliments that I get, you know, from individuals that have read the book. Uh, I had one individual, his wife was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer some two years ago, and we gave him a book and the peepaw one, and he said he took it in and laid it on his little table and said he went back to the field because he was a truck farmer and said when he came in that afternoon, said his wife was sitting there laughing <laughs> and said she hadn't laughed in two years. And he walked in and he said, honey, what in the world are you doing? She said, this book. Said this is the funniest thing that I have ever read. That I'm I'm loving it, and when I go to chemo again on Monday, I'm taking it with me. You know, when you have testimonies like that of how God can use something, then that makes all the difference to me. It's not the fame, it's not the glory, it's how can I help people? How can this little book help somebody that's going through a hard time right now? Did you think that it would bring that kind of joy to someone? Lord, no. <laughs> no. I, you know, all I wanted was a book for my granddaughter. And, you know, all this other stuff is just mind-boggling. I mean, it's it just, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that this was going to take off like this. I, there's no way. And if it hadn't been for my wife, you know, kicking me and saying, write it, write it, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you learn to listen to your mates. And I'm sure those who have picked up your book on grief have also taken a lot from that book as well. Yeah, uh, a lot of, there's, there's good many people that, uh, uh, it, it's, there, there are a lot of people that have called, there were some people who call me, and they say, we buy your grief book because we had a friend that lost a loved one, and we want them to read your book. I've had one group that used it as a Sunday school book. Um, you know, it, and it, I would have never thought that. You know, it, it was a, a right to me just to get it out and relive it and rethink it and, you know, revisit time with God. Uh, but how God uses it, and I always give them to him, uh, is that, you know, Lord, use them in any way you can. And it it's amazed me that some of the things on uh, Amazon and on the website that basically 
people will, will write and give these little snippets uh, of, of, of review of how it's helped them. And again, that's, that's, that's humbling. Now, as you said earlier, you are retired, but you're not really retired. Uh, tell us a little bit about what life is like, because I was just watching videos, and you have that that life on the farm. It's it's like a dream. Right now, I'm on the farm where I grew up. Uh, the house is probably uh, hundred over a hundred years old. Uh, we've completely redone it. Um, it's the the. The farm is just pregnant with memories of my family, my grandfather, my grandmother, uh, my dad, my mom. There's memories everywhere. And so it's like I've come full circle. You know, I went away into the ministry and served all over the state of South Carolina, but I've come back home. And it's just neat being back home. And no, it's not the same, but the memories are still there. And I still raise cattle. And uh, we, in fact, we got three shut up right now, getting ready to sell. And so we we enjoy the farm. I, I got into canning. My grandmother taught me how to do that. And I'll can anything if it stands still. And uh, just all kind of stuff. Uh, we we grew up on this farm self-sufficient. I mean, it, we had everything we needed. The only thing we had to buy was like salt and pepper. And we ground grits. We ground meal. You know, we ground flour. We, we did all of that. So <clears throat> the, the, the place right here is, is home. And I can sit out on my back porch, and stories will come to me about things that I did with my dad, things I did with my granddad. And that's where the ideas of the stories come from, is just sitting and reminiscing about, you know, life, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And a lot of things have changed. Um, But the place that I grew up, and the farm that I love hasn't. That love is still there. And I just enjoy being surrounded with all these memories. And it's, uh, it, it, it's a comforting place. It's my laughing place that I can sit and just relax. Will you ever stop so, storytelling? Probably not. Probably not. I sat down and had supper with a guy the other night. And after we left, he hugged me and he said, even though the virus is alive and well, he hugged me. He said, I've never laughed so much in my life as I did tonight sitting there listening to you talk. So, you know, I, you know, just laughing sometimes and getting rid of that stress of whatever you're under uh, makes all the difference in the world. And if I could give any somebody some some pleasure that they can just laugh and they can feel that belly shake, hey, it's been a good day. For people who want to learn more about you, about your books, how do they go about doing that? Uh, they're on Amazon. They're on Books A Million. 
and they own uh, Barnes and Noble, and then they had Mulberry Press. And then you also have a website as well, correct? Yeah, and that's a good-looking picture of me on there. Oh, <laughs> it took them several hours to get me right before they took my picture. <laughs> And that website is RevMatthewRucker.com. And wow, Matthew, it's been such a great honor interviewing you today. In this life, I found out you can cry about something or you laugh about something. Either way, you got to deal with it. So, you know, I've learned that, that if I can laugh, I relieve a lot of stress. And I help others relieve stress by laughing with them. And so it's a a beautiful world. And I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would be involved in something like this. Well, it was a great conversation today with you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Matthew. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.